Okay, back here in studio with uh, House candidate Cliff Grow. How you doing? Good. Glad to be here, Jeff. You, you notice I have my little my little thirty eight on the table. Yeah, you were like, I was it... a little surprised. <laughs> you know? This is over. That's fine. It's but we were talking about um, not that you would take a thirty eight with a, for bears, but you were talking about. Uh, I guess, well, did your wife used to sell guns or something? You said a long time ago. Uh, yeah, my wife used to be a federally licensed firearms dealer. She was. A, she was. She was a gun runner. Um, no, that would be. She's very much legal. It was. <laughs> she'd want me to point out. This is before 9-11 when there was less regulation and less paperwork. But she filled out a whole bunch of paperwork at that time and was a federally licensed firearms dealer in, while living in the bush. That works better, I would think. Yes. So we were talking about just briefly before we started the Bears, and I just I read that book, Coming Into the Country, sure. and John McPhee. You were around back then, right? I was. I was living. I'd come back from college and living. In, I was living in Anchorage again when that book came out. So, so he ta- he's in the, a lot of that book, he's in the bush. He's in you know, rural right. parts of Alaska. And, there's this bear thing, and there's like two, according to him, there's like two schools of thought with bears. One is if you have the gun, always have the gun, right? And then some people never have a gun. And this one guy was telling him, if you have a gun, you you put out like a a, a false sense or like the scent you put out for the bears, they think like, oh, you know, this this person, you know, they're threatening. Where if you don't have the gun, and I don't know how true this is, then you, you put out more of a, hey, I'm, I'm scared, don't. I And I've gone with... A- over time, with both schools, I've carried a 12 gauge shotgun with the goose slugs, uh, and uh, 12 gauges. That's probably the most ideal to right. stop the thing. But my point. But I've also uh, gone with bear spray or just with more prosaic and uh, effective methods of, in terms of trying to avoid the bears of having bear bells on the on the nap, on mm-hmm. the back uh, and talking. You know, the person I'm hike, uh, hiking with. Those are also helpful anti bear encounter measures. Get a little closer to the mic. Sorry. Mike. Sure. You can move it too. Um, now, what'd you say? You, you actually got bear sprayed once? I, I came back from a camping trip. Oh, my God. And, and I was unpacking and had the bear sprayed. I accidentally sprayed myself. Fortunately, it was from the side. It was an uncomfortable period there for a while, but a lot better than accidentally shooting myself with a gun. Much better. Yes. yes much better. But it was, you know, an unpleasant um, memory that, you know, I learned to be more careful and uh, went unpacking and, and handling it. Yeah, we, we thought, we haven't done this yet, but we, we were... Toying with the idea of, of putting me some like some goggles on and then getting onto the speedo and then getting bear sprayed on camera, uh, throwing not, that on, throwing that on like YouTube. You're on your own there, Jeff. I might get some I might get some views. Could be. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in any way disagreeing. You'd have a lot of milk on standby. Okay. I think milk's supposed to co- you know be. Uh, yeah, I'll let you do that, Jeff. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> right. All right, so you're running for for the house, and I want to talk about that. But first, um, for anybody who goes to Juno or spends any time in Juno, there's these galleries, Ziegler Gallery, and there's different galleries. But there's the Grow Gallery. Uh, my father... Uh, which is in the House, which is a big... No, Senate. Or, sorry, Senate. The big, my, big one in the Senate, yeah. Uh, my father served uh, one term, one four-year term in the Alaska State Senate. And uh, later, people, some people who served with him or knew him, um, after he died, uh, named um, one of the two Senate galleries after him. Uh, and uh, was my, that was the uh, one of a number of uh, public offices my father held um, in Alaska. Uh, you know, over the decades. So if you win, you'll be in Juno. You might go hang out in the Grow Gallery. Uh, I've been there before. Uh, it's because <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in Juno, uh, uh, covering uh, the legislature and making presentations. Both. You, you, you were there. Was it last session or the one before? Which I one? was in the th- there for the in in, uh, in Juno for the entire third special session in 2021. Yeah, and you were, you were September. 
2021. You were sending out email kind of updates and emails right. about so what the was dispatches happening. about it. I also have gone to Juno. I think I went for other times. Um, I, I figured it out it was about a total of three months in the last uh, seven years because that was four weeks or five weeks then. I also spent seven weeks at the beginning of the 2017 session, um, not sending out regular emails, more like making presentations, um, uh, meeting with legislators, which I've also did in 2021, uh, and... Um, holding uh, forums, um, including... Was that part of the Common Ground? or I was chair of the last Common Ground back in 2017, a position I held for four years. I actually found, and you'll appreciate this as a regular Juno denizen yourself, um, I was able to hold the events in the Red Dog Saloon. Oh, nice. I like well, Red Dog. Well, there's a, a more limited you know, more limited number of venues in Juno as compared to Anchorage, you know, a smaller town. And one hotel I went to, or one place said, well, we'd like to... You know, you have to buy hors d'oeuvres if you want to you know, use this. And I said, uh, uh, I think that you're confusing Alaska Common Ground with ConocoPhillips. We're not going to mm. be laying out that amount of money. So the Red Dog let me use um, the uh, the venue uh, and hold it on the stage, the events. And I had um, several um, for just, you know, them getting the extra business, we assume. Attractive. Next time you might, you might want to try the Crystal Saloon. That's the new one, my friend Jared. That was the old Viking. And now they've they've... It's a new bar called the Crystal Saloon. Big stage, pretty. I, I, Red, Red Dog's fun too. I've been. I've, I, I've uh, gone all over Alaska giving spe- uh, presentations and speeches about Alaska's uh, uh, fiscal circumstances and the economy. I have spoken everywhere, from Sitka to Fairbanks, uh, many times in uh, Anchorage, uh, the uh, Wasilla, Palmer, uh, Soldotna. Uh, and uh, I've been all around in making presentations for a number of years. My, my only problem with Red Dog is I've had horrible. Pull tab luck there. I, Once I do, again, I mean, Jeff, you're on your own there. I mean, I, I've done pretty. I've done pretty good at triangle. Triangle's my spot. Okay, that's where I've done pretty well. All right. Do you, you the pull tabs? Do you? No, I, I my my um, I my parents both had the gambling gene, and and it's sort of like I guess their uh, affection for the Republican Party. Oh, it skipped it's, you. It's something that did. did well, no, it, it it's something that I, I miss both the gambling gene and. The affection for the, the or the the, the the membership of the Republican Party that my parents had. Uh, my son is a Democrat, and I don't think a gambler either. So that would be my maybe it's, maybe, maybe his kids maybe you know <laughs> we'll have to see on that. Jeff. The gambling Republican <laughs> uh, zero <laughs> zero children for my son grandchildren for Cliff so far, and my son has made it absolutely clear, Dad, don't hold your breath. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk a little bit about you have your your name tag there, co-creator of the PFD. I've heard you talk about that, and talk you were a staffer, you were working. I, yeah, the- um, I, um, I was in, um, uh, I worked for the, uh, uh, the Alaska state legislative staff and, uh, with some very, um, highly skilled and impressive legislators, both of whom, the two that I worked with the most then were both the former speakers of the house, uh, Terry Gardner and he Malone. Um, uh, one of them, uh, was, uh, actually became speaker of the house at age 28 after getting elected to the Alaska house at 22, something that you and I won't be doing, Jeff. I, my impression is you're a little north of 28 now. I'm 37. I, 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 I ran for the Senate um, 10 years ago for the first time when I was 28. I was 27, say, I would have been 28. And, and the, the minimum age, a lot of people don't know this because most states, it's like 18 for everything. Alaska's 21 for the House, 25 <coughs> for the Senate, and 30 for a governor. Right. Which which is, you know, we're a newer state, so they've put some limits on it. But I think some like Kansas, I mean, a lot of other states, it's 18 across the board. Right. But anyway, I worked for the legislature back when I was in my 20s and uh, 
worked uh, very hard to uh, get the uh, uh, dividend to both develop. Uh, it was a very complicated intellectual effort because it involved some really, really tricky subjects. The idea of direct distribution, you know, by itself. And this is the, the backstop bill, the bill that passed that was going to go into effect if the United States Supreme Court struck down the original pl plan. And so... Uh, That's what the Zobel? Right, the lawsuit that the Zobels filed and that was ultimately prevailed. But in the 1980, during the 1982 legislative session, um, the uh, Governor Hammond and, and a sort of a small ragtag group of legislators wanted to put a backstop bill in, into effect that would go into, a, in, into law, that would go into effect if the United States Supreme Court struck down the original plan. The original plan, as you know, was heavily tied to residency. Uh -huh. this, is, this is Cliff Crow's name for it. Um, I would have been a maximum recipient of the original plan, uh, which it was the longer you hear, the more you get plan. And then, um, which I always talk about with people, you know, the original intent of this thing was that, and then there was this court case and it changed it. So, so well, it's actually a little, it's a little more complicated. Um, and this is frequently misunderstood that the court case takes a while to decide, right? There's an oral argument in the fall of 1981 in the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, and it does not go well for the state. Okay, it looks like the United States Supreme Court is going to strike down the original plan. As you know, of course, the legislative sessions start in January. And so um, Governor Hammond, who was his last year, right, constitutionally, right, he was his last year in office. And so he... Off leash. He says, let's have a, uh, a backstop plan that's equal payments for all that would go into effect if the original plan got struck down. And so the legislature passes that original plan, and I worked all session, and very hard, because you had to both figure out things like the, um, the, the distributional, you know, the sort of philosophical questions about direct distribution. You also had to figure out the, the, um, how you're going to handle minors, right? The original uh, plan had left out minors, but it was clear you needed to include them, and there are a couple different ways to do it, so that was a, an effort. And then you also had to figure out how to handle the sort of um, problem that if some people got a, a dividends, they'd actually lose money. So you had to work on that problem as well. That's a hold, hold they call it the hold right. harmless. Correct. If you make too much, so, but it was, you lose and, some. And then it had very complicated triggers. And this is actually now, if I, you know, I'm lucky, fortunate enough to get elected, um, dealing with, you know, the dividend now on the legislature, maybe a trigger plan too. But that 80, 1982 dividend backstop bill had a trigger in it that it went into effect if the United States Supreme Court struck down the old one, but it had multiple triggers in case there was a, you know, like a, a different way. It's almost like the uh, some of these abortion laws in some of these states. These what do they snap back? Where, was, where if the, wait, the, but the bill was very complicated, and this is pretty sort of sort of very being the computer era, and so it had you know like six different colors of magic marker. Like I think it was a page, you know twenty five or twenty eight page bill, but it had six different colors of magic markers using to mark up different sections, right? Uh -huh. To you know uh, including in terms of the trigger, you know different provisions based on the triggers. So I worked on that. Um, um, uh, did a lot also to develop a, co a coalition. That was a tripartisan coalition, Jeff, that passed that because there were obviously Democrats in the legislature, Republicans in the legislature. But back at, at that time, there were actual card-carrying libertarians, members of the Libertarian Party. Uh, Dick Randolph, right? And Ken Fanning. Ken Fanning. Both, both so the, the, one of my favorite stories, I think Cuddy was in there, and he was Republican, but he was kind of with them, right? He was kind of... He was a very libertarian-oriented Republican. He, he was in there. He, he's the one that I know the he best. He was their flavor. So I heard a story, maybe you know about this, I heard that this Fanning guy, there was some bill, some vote, I don't know, and they couldn't, and there was a call, they couldn't find him, and he was hiding in the in, in the ceiling, like in, he was like in his roof, like he was in the office in the in the roof, and he hid there for a couple of days. May have been. And they couldn't find him, 
Because, you know, as you know, when there's a call placed, right. anybody can do it, and it only goes away if the person either comes back or the person who put the calls removes it. That might have happened the, na- the year after um, uh, the dividend bill passed in 83. I remember there was a big call then. But I um, worked, was in the, uh, going to law school in 83, and I, I missed almost all the session. I, just, just, I mean, we, we have crazy things like lately Bert locked, you know, barricades the door and the finance committee and other things, you know, some people run away, but I mean, I, I've actually seen the keys broken off in the locks mm-hmm. after the 19, after the coup where the, um, some Democrats were thrown out of power in the house and they were, uh, the, the house was taken over during the session Yeah, uh, by, they locked, they locked the doors, right? Well, there were the people who, and, you know, and engineered the coup locked, locked the doors and broke the keys off. In, inside the lot. So I never understood that because if you have 21, it doesn't matter what, what, I mean, if you have 21 people, you need 21 to do something. So there in the a, house, if you have 21, why does it matter if somebody else comes in? There's a concern about obviously shifting alliances. And there was a theory that it would change minute to minute. You've been around the legislature a lot <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you've seen some switches, maybe some votes you've surprised you. That's why. Yeah. And the other one is, Clem, I did a podcast years ago with Clem Tillian and, and there was a couple guys that, I don't know, they took off for whatever reason, some highly know contentious thing right he sent there was a call he sent the troopers after him and sure and he, he told me i said I, he said I want those goddamn people brought back here in handcuffs and i guess they did they brought him back cuffed in front of the you know the senate president uh you know uh, some wild things have occurred we need to go back to i mean i feel like i was born in the wrong generation when i, when I read like <laughs> coming into the country and going to extremes and all the pipeline stuff in the 70s like i think i think if i was me then i would have had a i might have had some kind of drug fuel burnout too unfortunately um I'll let you make that comment, Jeff. Um, I would um, also observe that you know you um, sort of have, we, we, we all live in the time we live, unless that's right. until until Jeff Landfield builds the working Jeff Landfield time machine. Uh, yeah, let's see. I think I don't know. I'm not an expert here, of course, but I think you can go into the future. But according to some of these Einstein, you can't go to the past, but you can go into the. I'm. I will defer to your well, knowledge of that that higher separate level podcast. Physics. Yeah. Okay, so you ran in 2018. You were living downtown at the time. It was you. Right. This is the whole Les Guerra thing. He was going to run. He wasn't going to run. He was going to run. So then he, you got involved, uh, Zach Fields, and I think Elias Rojas. Right? Yeah, those were the three candidates. Three-way Democrat. And you had that kind of memorable uh, comic book, comic character mailer that everybody loved. Sure. Um, I yeah. As, as mailers go, that one really kind of stands out to me. Uh, you say the sweetest things, Mr. Landfield. I appreciate it. Um, it, was, it was a good mailer. That, you. Was that your idea? Who, who did that? Who's that? Uh, there was a consultant involved. Whoever it was, that was clever. Right. We have a different um, team involved. That particular person, I think, went to law school and became a lawyer. That consultant. That's what happens sometimes with these can happen. political he was types. Going to law school then. Yeah. So, so, you, so you ended up not you. Uh, Fields won that, and he's been there since he, he nineteen. And then you've since moved to Government Hill. And My now, wife and I moved Government Hill. So two things changed, and I th- as I said in a previous appearance, broadcast appearance with you. Yeah, and you were, thank you for coming on to our election you, coverage. Uh, on thank the, you for having me. Uh, we're we're doing another one for the general. There's um, going to be an announcement hopefully soon about where we're going to be doing that. Thank so. you, Jeff. I appreciate that uh, chance to be on. But what I would say is that two things occurred that made this race possible. Um, number one, my wife, Teresa, and I moved to Government Hill from South Edition. Uh, a move that we feel lucky to, to be able to make, and we really like. You had, I, I came to your house, remember uh, back then? You had you had a nice place down there in South Division. Um, yeah, yeah. And we moved to a, actually a larger place uh, yeah, with a bigger yard in particular. Mm-hmm. I think you went you went and visited my mother's house where I grew up. 
Oh, maybe that was it. That yeah, was, that, okay. was house, that was a nice place. I like that. That place. was house where I grew up. Okay, that's and right. Yeah, we and, came and to do the my, interview and, for that. For and that then my, race. And my mother died in twenty twenty, and we sold. Oh, I'm uh, sorry, the I didn't house. Know that. Well, no, it's, yeah, my, my mother had been ill for a long time. That was a nice place, right? But that's house where I grew up, but I never lived there as in a you know for years, right? Okay. So anyway, um, so my wife and I moved from um, since twenty eighteen from uh, South Addition to Government Hill. And then, of course, the Alaska Redistricting Board did its work and announced in November and promulgated a proclamation and, uh, uh, with new lines. And the new lines, of course... Were you uh, still, before with Government Hill, before the redistricting, were you still in Fields District? Well, no? I'm still in Fields District now. No, the, the, the current one, but not the new one. Right. The new one, the new lines run, as you've probably seen, um, and this district that I'm in now runs across North Anchorage. Some people have said like it's like Anchorage's headband. Mm-hmm. It runs from uh, Cook Inlet on the west all the way out to the landfill in the east, and it runs across a very far north part of, 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 of North Anchorage in the sense that on the west side of the district, the actual southern border is 4th Avenue. Yeah. And then it jogs over uh, down to 5th Avenue for a while. And, and this one never ch- – ch- but th- this one was one of the ones that was kind of – Involved in the Eagle River stuff, right? With the Senate, well, the Senate you know, district, Senate, was, not right. the House, not, not the lines of the House district, but the it was Senate. one of the ones well, that was going to be. The question: Which which pairing would it would yeah, it's the pairing, yeah, right. And so for a while, for months, it looked as though we were going to be in a same Senate district with Eagle River, something, um, an outcome that I very much opposed. And it's a matter of public record. I donated to the litigation that helped change. Um, move, sorry, move back a little closer. Sorry, sure. You can just I, move I, it physically too. Yeah, grab it. I donated to the litigation. Um, that um, uh, was successful and uh, resulted, uh, had a, a number of outcomes, but one of them was to change the pairing of my house district, the one on the North Anchorage I just described, um, with a uh, South Edition uh, house district. So it's based in South Edition downtown, mm-hmm. runs to a little bit of, of uh, Fairview, runs, and runs down to a little bit of Spinard, some Spinard. Um, and that's our new um, Senate district, as opposed to one that would have paired so, Government Hill with Eagle River. So, if you would have, if after redistricting, you would have ended up with Fields again, or not now Fields and Drummond are paired, they're running. Would you have run probably? Or um, I'm I I'm running in a district that has no Democratic incumbent. No, no, I know, but I'm saying you, you said two things happened. If you would have been if, paired if, with a Democratic, I, I'm not going to. You know, um, I never had to make a decision of how I was going to run, given that that's I moved. It's a, a good answer. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, uh, I'm running in a district with no Democratic so, incumbent. So you're now you have you two Democrats, you and, and um, Lynn Franks and David Nelson, the incumbent. Now you you've 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 got more. Nelson has the most, but he only has forty. I think forty-one or forty-two percent. The Something two Democrats, else. you and you and Lynn combined, have almost sixty percent. That's which correct. T- which tells me, like a lot of these other races. Where there's one Democrat like Greyer Hopkins, you know, he, a lot of people think, "Oh, it's great." Well, if you look at the two Republicans in those races, they have way over half the vote. So in your situation, it's it's reversed. It's an incumbent Republican, but two Democrats have well over half the vote. Um, so I think you're basically in a good position with this ranked choice deal to to win. Um, I, I I hope that your prediction and analysis is correct, Mr. Landfield. I'm doing everything I can to make that work. Uh, what I would say. Um, is uh, taking nothing for granted. Uh, and um, there's obviously uh, going to be a lot more people voting in the general. It was about 1,200 or so in the primary. It might, you know, go, it's going to go, go up by, t- you know, two and a half, maybe three times, uh, a little or a little less, you know, in the, in the, in the uh, general. A lot more people are going to vote in the general election. I'm, you know, campaigning for a vote. You know, I was out walking last night. I'm going to be walking tonight. Uh, now, Nelson, he's first term younger uh he, he kind of 
beat barely was able to beat uh Gabriel Ledoux, Ledoux there a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, I read through the APOC stuff. We do our political report. He hasn't done a lot. Are you, do you get the sense that he's? I mean, is he? Have you seen him? I know you're out. I see you're on I've social seen media. I've seen him. I've seen him walking door to door. I've seen him waving signs. Uh, you know, he has a campaign. Um, my campaign's very active. I'm doing the best I can. You've to raised quite. Him. You've raised quite a bit of money. Yeah, this campaign has been very successful. How do, how do you? What do you attribute that to? I think that it involved a lot of phone calls and emails. Uh, it also is helpful that I have lived in Alaska all my life, and I know a number of people who are very uh, devoted to the state and think and have uh, um, seen me in action, whether it is um, making presentations at Alaska Common Ground meetings uh, or in a wide variety of other contexts, or they've also maybe taken my course. I taught a course at, uh, uh, at the University of Alaska that I designed and created called um, Navigating Alaska's Fiscal and Economic Challenges. Um, and I also just, in my long life here um, in Alaska as a lawyer uh, and uh, in active in politics, some not just as a candidate, but also working in other campaigns, I've come to know a lot of people um, and also through my work and my, uh, my volunteer work through Alaska Common Ground. Um, so I'm particularly proud of Jeff. It's something I repeat, something I said in the live stream and the TV broadcast on election night, primary election night. This campaign, according to Bant Buxton, who crunched the numbers and is good at that, has the um, highest number of individual contributors of any legislative campaign in the state, House or Senate. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, it's, it's easy. I've, I've from before, and it's always hard to raise money for, if you're not you know, incumbent. But then I, I ran a PAC once for uh, Revac four years ago that Mel Gillis put some It's so much easier when you have money to do a campaign. It's just, it's way easier when you can like, whether, whether it's mail or TV or consult, whatever it is, right? It just makes it a lot easier to, to run when you're not, a lot of people run and they don't have that much money and they're always trying to like, what do I spend money on? And it becomes um, harder. I, so I think it, when you have money, it makes it. Another key was to start early. Um, those lines got announced by the Alaska Redistricting Board in November. Um, and I um, uh, announced in my rate, you know, I, I filed for office with APOC um, in December 6th. And I started raising money immediately and I started walking door to door in January. So this campaign has gone on months and months way longer than, than, than the rest of the time left, as I tell my wife, to try to cheer her up. Are you, and, and I don't want you to reveal anything kind of private, but are you, have you talked to, I mean, it seems like it'd be better if there was just one Democrat against Nelson. And we, we, I, we I, see these kind of, like, I know Lynn ran before and um, Nelson, I, Nelson beat her in 2020. Um, so. I'm, I've had, I'm, I'm, I've had conversations with Lynn Franks during the campaign. Not, you know, I'm not going to talk about what they've been recently. Uh, I'm running my race to win whoever the opponents are. And I think it's, and I'm going all out to knock David Nelson out of the legislature. Uh, and uh, uh, I also think it's very important for people to focus on how ranked choice voting works. It's yeah. now in Alaska this year. And I particularly, you know, I appreciate you putting those numbers out of how the, you know, the, the outcome of the primary was. I think it's critical for Alaskans, or especially, you know, voters in my district has district 18, uh, to know that they should use the rankings of number one and number two. Um, and if some Democrats uh, only, you know, you do a short ballot, only vote for one person a bullet in vote, the yeah. general. Um, I like to call it short ballot because bullet vote sounds more fun. Uh, uh, short <laughs> ballot would be my preferred term. I'd like if people use a short ballot and only vote for uh, for one. It's possible that David Nelson could squeak in without, you know, the majority it, it, support. It would have to be a lot, but it is, it is possible. Sure, it is possible. And we're seeing that now with Palin, and this is a whole, you know, she's married at 40. 
I think Palin's going to win only because for 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 almost sixty percent of Republican voters, for almost sixty percent of voters to vote for two Republicans and married one with forty, I'd, I'd find that just kind of shocking. But we'll I, see. I mean, because a, a lot of it does come down to the bullet vote. And I've been the, shocked before in Alaska, Mr. Landfield. We, all, we I've always seen, I've seen some things, some have, surprising things, and I've been shocked. Well, you know, by other uh, results in politics as well around our country. Alaska politics is a lot of things, but not boring. I would agree with that. So, so I count, um, looking at the, if you know, counting, assuming you win, I count 16 kind of, I'd say hardcore coalition, because there's a coalition right now of 21. I count 16 kind of hardcore coalition people. I count two maybe coalition, which is Bart Laban and Josiah Pakatak. They could go either way. I mean, Bart wasn't a coalition for the first two years. Uh, in the last two years, he was in the, the major, Republican minority. Pakatak was in the last coalition, but I think he very could be easily swayed to go into a Republican majority. So it's 18. And then I count three races that are kind of the deciding ones, the Josephson-Hensley race, the Wolf-Mears race, and then the um, Ashid, which I actually thought Ted was going to do, but Ashid, um, Stanley Wright, there's two, Lisa Simpson's in there too, but Stanley got more votes. So Depending on the outcome of those races, we could very well be in another 2020 gridlock, which we've seen the last two, last four years, I guess, the last two legislatures in the first session. Um, or it could go Republican or it could go coalition again. So it's really, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting how it shakes out. But I think it's, I, I think the Senate's going to be, the last four years, the Senate's been kind of the loose, crazy. There's been kind of a fake majority. The real majority is like some majority members, some minority members. The House has been kind of fraught with, problems but the majority is always at the end of the day held it together i think it's going to be a coalition next year in the senate for sure and i think the house might be the crazy place um i'm equipped to uh, deal with any environment um as i like if, that i like that as a former prosecutor uh who's also done some criminal defense work uh i um also in terms of my role working for the alaska state legislature and as former special um commissioner for the uh, alaska department of revenue I also helped put together a big bill there and helped get it passed. And that would be uh, a major oil tax bill called the Economic Limit uh, Factor or ELF, Elf. revision um, uh, bill, in uh, which I um, helped uh, both develop but also you know, assemble the coalition for. The Libertarians were out of the legislature by then, Jeff, but that took very much a coalition of Democrats and Republicans mm-hmm. to pass. And that, that bill raised uh, $2 billion for the state of Alaska over a period of years. You know, money that could go, it did go for uh, schools, roads, and, and public safety, which are important things to Alaskans and things that I very much want to make sure the state has enough, um, um, has sufficient resources to be able to uh, uh, provide the people of Alaska in terms of what they um, deserve and need. So, so if the now, other thing I was going to add, if, if the Republicans do manage to get the numbers, even if they get to twenty-two. Those will include David Eastman and Jamie Allard. And, you know, we've seen what Eastman, I mean, he's been problem thorn for them for the last several years. But 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 Jamie Allard, I'm telling you and the listeners, will introduce a, a, a level of kind of chaos to that majority that even David Eastman hasn't done before. So the Republicans have a tough time. If they, even if they get 23, which, you know, if you throw in pocket talk potentially, you know, and all that, it, 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 could, it, it could be a Republican majority. But then... You're going to have a very strong minority, which which you know twenty you need twenty seven for a two thirds and thirty for a three quarter. You know, it's the procedural stuff that some of the listeners might not. But I mean, you have to, those numbers are important, and they can prevent. You know, the minority can prevent right. things from uh, happening. Um, I've also dealt in other environments that can um, uh, help 
as a member of the legislature, I obviously hope I'm a member of a, um, let's call it um, pan-partisan or um, multi-party coalition. Pan, I like that, pan-partisan. That's uh, a new uh, one. We should yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, somebody, I think somebody else came up with that. Probably but a younger person, I'm guessing. Could have been. But uh, <laughs> but I think I look forward to serving with a, a, a coalition of like-minded Alaskans that... Uh, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here. If the Republicans do organize, I, I don't think Cliff Grow is going to be in the Republican um, majority, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not an extra vote for the Republicans <laughs> to come in. Uh, I'm voting very... I'm running very hard. Um, but I want to work with Republicans like I have throughout my career. And I grew up um, with... Um, uh, my parents were both prominent Republicans, um, my father uh, was Republican um, and uh, elected, as I said, to the Alaska State Senate. Was made chairman of the of the uh, Alaska uh, State Senate Finance Committee in his third year. Uh, I'll let you, and not co-chairman, chairman. Yeah. So, so my point in was, the past, there has been a couple times where they've had sole chairman. Right? Well, that would be yeah. a more common thing than it, recently, you know, co-chairman. But he did it in his third year in the legislature. Wow. It's only in for four, right? One, a single four-year term uh, in the state senate. What year was that? Uh, that would have been 1973 and 74 with those two years. So that wasn't quite that wasn't quite the money wasn't rolling in quite. No, yet. but there was a lot of discussion about how you're going to handle the money that mm-hmm. was going to come in. It's the very beginning of the, the, the you know, uh, dealing with the pipeline era decisions. Uh, and he was, like I said, this, the Senate Finance Committee chairman. So that would, who was before Hammond? That would, Hammond was 74, right? He was elected. He's elected governor in 74. It was before it was at, um, uh, Bill Egan. Egan. Yeah. So um, my mother was also an elector for George W. Bush in the, the famous election of 2000. Oh, really? She was a prominent Republican status. Wow. Uh, and a member so she's of one of three. College in Alaska, yeah. And, um, but in my career, it's not just my personal life where I dealt with a lot with Republicans growing up by definition, but in my career, as I've said before, I've dealt with uh, 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 Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians when they were in the legislature in terms of helping to get the permanent dividend bill passed and then later the uh, uh, elf oil tax revision I bill. I wish we had some more Libertarians. I actually was briefly a Libertarian. In 2008, I kind of got involved in politics. I went to the Republican Party convention. I was a Ron Paul guy back then, big Ron Paul guy. They kind of kicked the, Repu- the Ron Paul people out. I, I decided, screw these Republicans. I became a Libertarian for a while. Um, they're fun. They're, they're also just... A little out there. I, like, their meetings were, were wild. I don't doubt that. I mean, I, we, like, I'm at heart a libertarian. I mean, they're the most fun people. And I think if we had some of the, more of those in the legislature, even a couple, it would definitely uh, make it I more. will tell you that part of my work was um, uh, on the dividend bill in 1982. Was I worked with Dick Randolph and um, Ken Fanning, and they were very, the two libertarian legislators from Fairbanks, they were very surprised to learn that I had gotten some and, and, and helped shape the dividend bill, gotten ideas from Ron Zobel. And they, like a lot of Alaskans, are very happy with Ron Zobel. But Ron Zobel was a smart lawyer, and he gave good advice about how to make mm-hmm. it constitutional the next time. That was helpful. Uh, but I could work with anybody, right? And one of the ways I sold, you know, uh, made uh, uh, Ron Zobel sound better to Ken Fanning and, and, and uh, Ken Randolph and Dave Fanning, I said, he used to be a sergeant in the Green Berets. Ken Fanning said, Ron Zobel was a snake eater. I said, I don't know if he ate snakes, but I know he served your years to the Green Berets. And that was a, a different kind of thing that would have, um, you know, I guess Ken Fanning might have been the kind of person would have thought that uh, a lawyer never could have been a Green Beret, uh, but mm. he was. Um, but another thing that I think will be helpful for me if I am fortunate enough to get elected to the Alaska State House is I've also, uh, I've been a lawyer for a number of years. I know it's hard to believe because, you know, you, 
a lot of people don't like lawyers, and maybe if they like me, they're so so likable. I never would again. Yeah, you say the sweetest guess. things again, Exuberant. once again. But um, in my career as a lawyer, I have um, handled some constitutional law cases. Um, in one of them, I was even on national television um, for my the oral argument was televised on national television, and I um, successfully defended um, the rights of unmarried cohabiting uh, tenants to be to rent free of religious discrimination. And that case was so prominent and important. And like I said, the oral argument appeared on national television. I want to say not NBC, CBS, ABC, or Fox. It was one of the C-SPAN networks. Is Alaska still, Supreme Court or U.S. Supreme Court? No, this was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, oh, the okay. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. The full en banc court, I think there were, there were 15 judges sitting in front of me in this very old courthouse in San Francisco, marble, and it was just sort of a surreal thing. You don't have any buildings like that in Alaska, obviously. It was, you know, uh-huh. Um, well, so much of Alaska got built, obviously, you know, much more recently, but that was quite an unusual experience. Oh yeah. That's, um, but I've dealt with some constitutional, um, law matters and litigated constitutional law as a lawyer, given that the, the legislature regularly considers constitutional amendments, as you know, uh, that would be a useful thing. I, I had my own little constitutional, uh, claim against the governor, which we prevailed on in the federal court, you know. We, we sued in state court, but then they moved it to federal court, which sure. puzzled our lawyers, and we got the per- temporary injunction, the permanent injunction, and I was kind of, it was Zoom because of this whole COVID stuff. But Congratulations. I, I was like, you know, the judge, and there was a whole deal, and I, you know, it was like my lawyers were like, another don't, thing don't, you, don't say anything, just be quiet. Another <laughs> thing you can add to your resume, successful litigant. Yes, I am. Field. Yeah, that, that's actually, actually in, the, in the, what is it, Westlaw, whatever those things are, you, it's, right. it's already come up some, I've been told it's come up a few times in other, other, Cases about press access, you know, there you go. the press. So, okay. Last thing I want to ask you is, is obviously the dividends, the big one. And, and you talk a lot about the dividend. Um, let me just say, if, if you had the magic wand, I don't want to ask about how, how they, how they get there, but like, what is, what, what, what is it? Is it the 50, 50? Is it the stat? Is it okay, the first stat- of all, it's a comprehensive package. And um, the uh, joint uh, fiscal working group, I thought created a good model. There's been some good discussions also in the Senate finance committee. But, um, and and they, they, they said 50-50, the working group. Uh, what I have said is that uh, I favor um, a sustainable dividend that is guaranteed in the Constitution uh, that uh, with an eye or a goal of reaching 50-50. There's all kinds of discussions of bridges, triggers, stair-stepping. Um, I look forward to being involved in figuring that out. But I think that, there, that, that's, I think that we have to constitutionalize the dividend. We're going to argue about it every year, the level of it every year. We were, The legislative... The last legislature spent more days in session in 2021 last year than it has in any years in statehood, basically are mostly arguing over the dividend, as you saw yourself. Mm-hmm, yeah. I also think we need um, to um, constitutionalize or put in the last constitution the rules that prevent the overspending or overdrawing of the permanent fund um, and not allow the legislature to blow the permanent fund earnings in one massive spree. So, so, so when, you, when you say triggers and different, you know, steps for I mean, wouldn't it be, it wouldn't, if it was going to be put in the Constitution, it's got to be kind of simple language, right? Right. But, I mean, there's been some discussion of ways to sort of deal with the problem. The long-run, the, the, the long-run problem Alaska has had for years, which is that we used to pay for uh, almost uh, everything the state of Alaska did with oil money, and now the oil money is much less because of basically, or one big factor is, of course, the very long-term decline of Alaska oil production. With, with, well, with the exception of this year, it has gone up because the price of oil but, has shot up. And, and, mm-hmm. and that is, a, in my view, the inherent problem for, for, from 2014, after Walker got elected, up until last year, oil prices were pretty low. I mean, they were in the 30s under you know, Walker after a few months. 
They went up a little bit. They were 50s, 60s, 70s. Then they were like negative for a little bit with you know COVID. But they've always been, now with this Putin stuff in Russia and Ukraine, we see it over 100. Everybody, the legislature, the governor was pretty much on the 50-50. That was kind of like everybody more or less agreed on that. I mean, Dunleavy had a big press conference in March 2021 with Lyman, Lyman Hoffman, Mike, Sh- all these big legisl- you know, PFP right. people. And then a year over a year goes by of this 50-50. And then the price of oil goes up and then they want they want to shoot to the moon to 30 37 500 so this is the problem is like when the money starts to go go up the dividend they want the dividend to go up cliff grow is your man for the long term i've both seen a lot in alaska and i i look forward in alaska and i recognize like i think you do oil prices are going to fall uh, the war in ukraine will end someday mm-hmm. um, and both of those things and we've also seen some very substantial effects of climate change and a move more, you know, toward electric vehicles and trying to get a lot of ways of dealing it, things that over the long run are going to reduce um, the demand for fossil fuels and, and lower the price of oil over time. But I believe you should constitutionalize the dividend, constitutionalize the, the uh, protection of the permit fund earnings, further protect the permit fund. The long-winded way of saying that, a little wonky way, is to put in the Constitution the percent of market value rules that are currently in Alaska. Well, that's a pretty big lift. That's 27 in the House, 14 I, in the Senate. Um, now, here's another question I'll ask you. This is a theoretical. Let's say Dun, I think Dunleavy is a likely winner. I mean, anything can happen, but let's say Dunleavy wins, gets reelected. First governor would be since Knowles to get reelected. Let's say there's a coalition in the Senate and a Republican majority in the House. Let's just say those things happen. Anything can happen, right? That, that is going to be, even if the legislature, if there's a new governor, is divided with the coalition like it is now with this House and Senate, it's just going to be, I don't know. I mean, I hope something gets gets done here because this has been quite, a, even for me, I'm annoyed by being down there. Every year, it's like a broken record, end of session. Uh, I've worked in, in, in um, very difficult environments, um, uh, uh, both in the legislature. The Permafin Dividend passed, Bill passed after the coup. I was minority staff. I knew so much and worked so hard that, uh, they, the majority relied on me a lot, but I worked for uh, um, a Democrat, minority Democrats. Who'd you work, who'd you work Terry, for then? Terry Gardner, until the very end, Terry, uh, I, I also was sort of lent out to uh, Representative Hugh Malone. Both of those, as I said earlier, were former mm-hmm. speakers of the House, um, both very um, smart people. Terry um, Gardner, he's got that picture, and there's a wall of the speakers, all the pieces, and he's got the, he's one of the glasses, right? He, look, yes. he, looks, he looks like a, a fun guy. Uh, he was elected at age 22, uh, became Speaker of the House at age 28. He was a younger man than, yeah, the, he, than most he, he people. Yeah, he looked like kind of a and 70s style type. I think he was, you know, wasn't as a fun guy. He's still around? From him. Uh, he lives in Washington State now. You, you, are you in touch? I am. You, he, he should come on the podcast. Okay. I, I can do it via um, Zoom. We should set that up. I'll tell him. That'd be a fun podcast. Uh, he is a knowledgeable person, and he does. He is very stays and remains interested in Alaska. One of my biggest regrets is uh, in March of 2020, I was in, I got in touch with um, Mike Gravel and, you know, I got his number and he was in California. He was very, he was in his nineties and we were, was, I was, I had a ticket. I was going to fly down to, he was in near San Jose. We were going to do a po- couple podcasts, you know, fascinating, you know, obviously right. two term Senator. And, um, and then the COVID, this COVID thing happened and it was right when COVID kind of, it was March, 2020. And it was like, you know, we, no one knew, are we all going to fucking die? What's going to happen? Right. So I canceled my ticket only because I didn't want to go to California and A, get stuck, or B, come back and not be allowed. Sure. The Capitol was still open at the time, but it was like everything was starting to close. Sure. So I didn't do it, and he wasn't really able to do Zoom, or, you know, at the time Zoom wasn't even a thing right. remote, and then I didn't go, and then obviously, you know, and then he, di- he died. 
right. which really made, makes me sad because that would have been, I think, a really good right. interview. So uh, people like Terry, I'd love to talk to those folks that have been you, around you, back. Um, you can. Uh, Terry Gardner, a, a fun, a, a smart, and knowledgeable guy. You, you, I, I want to add that I also think that our state needs new revenues. And um, I, and I walk the talk in this. I, I fired my dentist. I want you to let you know, Jeff, I, I got another one. I didn't let my teeth go. I was going to ask. I'm a little worried about your teeth. If you know. I fired my dentist when I found that he lived in Utah. And he flies to Anchorage 34 weeks a year, four days a week. And then his income, he makes 100% of his income in Alaska, and it's taxed in Utah by the state of Utah. And that's I, interesting. I wonder why that's interesting. Well, because the state of Utah can do that. And, and a, a lot of no, no, I wonder why he would be up here 34 weeks and not, that's kind of weird. Uh, well, and I asked him, right? And he said, um, Cliff, there are too many dentists in Utah. My wife really likes living in Utah. And I thought a lot of people lay off unpopular decisions on their spouses. I'm not or partners. I'm not big on that. But um, he could obviously making a lot of money here, Jeff. To fix, it's I mean, 30, how, many, how many weeks are in here? 52? So yeah. like well over half the year. And, and he said, Cliff, it's so great. Because when I'm in Utah, I can spend all my time with my wife and my son. And I was thinking to myself, dude, get your church to give you an award for family man of the year. I'm not going <laughs> to subsidize this. So I fired him and got a dentist who lives hey, in Anchorage. Cliff, you really, you're walking the, walking the talk. Right. Walking my the talk point, there. though, is I don't think that we should, you know, cut our schools and cut the dividends so that my former dentist doesn't doesn't have to pay taxes and all this money he makes in See, I'm sure you're familiar with Brad Keithley. He writes a weekly column I for me. I am familiar with Brad Keithley. He's very much on the kind of either income tax or sales, some kind of, you know, revenue to... to, I, to I think our state needs to have additional revenues. And I, by that, I mean um, some moderate increase in taxes on the oil industry. And I also believe that we should have a broad-based tax. Well, and the one that is, would reach that, my former dentist, would be an income tax. Something I, are you going to go back to him if they... I might go. I wouldn't go back to him, but I might. I made him a poster boy. I talk about him how long all the was time. he your dentist for? Uh, a few years, a couple years. Okay, because I've been going to my dentist for almost since I moved here. So fifteen, six. Almost, I moved here in 04. It's like oh, eighteen years. So I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to. I. I, don't, like, I can't. I'm, I'm. I'm with my guy. Family. I'll give him a shout out to Family First Dentistry, Doctor Doctor Har. He's great. I'm, I'm going to leave out the, the former dentist name. I'm, I'm not asking for. I'm just giving my, my my guy. I appreciate Family that. First, Doctor Gregory Har. Right. right. But I, you know, I didn't have any complaint about it. He, he dealt with my teeth. I just thought this is not the lifestyle I want to support. I think a lot of people talk about the slope workers and the season, you know, um, the kind of the mining or whoever comes up for two weeks or well, three weeks. More and, and more back. doctors, specialty physicians, surgeons, a dentist. And because and, uh, it's not just the dentist I fired. Um, my sister, you know, came and visited Alaska, you know, where, uh, and she's flying back to Portland, Oregon, where she lives. And she's on, you know, on Alaska Airlines and like it commonly have to talk to her seatmate. Her seatmate is a, a, a dentist in Portland who flies to Anchorage to practice because there's so much money there. You, you know what I've always wondered? And it just be, it's beyond me. You drive around town, you'll, you'll see a dentist office every, every minute, right? They're, they're everywhere. How do they make money? I mean, I guess everybody has teeth and everybody needs to go to a dentist, but it just strikes me as, as such a hard industry to make money in when they're everywhere. Uh, apparently there's a, a lot more money to be made in Alaska, given the story of my dentist. I, I guess so. You got Portland and Utah. You know, they're right. All and that, that, that's a considerable flights, as you're well aware of some distance. Man, that, that, your guy must be gold million times. I would like, think that he'd be pretty up there locked right, in on his status. And then um, this was, you know, an older example. I don't think it's quite as bad, but I've had coffee with a surgeon who made $5.5 million in net income. I want to stress net. Mm-hmm from one year of, uh, of surgery in Alaska. So my point is he lives in South Anchorage. 
uh, and is now retired, I've heard, more recently. I was going to say, if he's listening, he could buy an ad in the landmine. We're selling ads all the time. We'd love to support your surgical, surgical business. But he's retired. He's clearly made, but he made $5.5 in one year and went... And he went through a very expensive and hotly litigated divorce where the details of his um, uh, finances were crawled over by a forensic accountant. And what uh, what found out was, uh, I've already told you how much he made in Alaska in one year. What do you think? Remember, his surgeries are very well documented. It's really clear how much work he does. He, he moves here from Washington State. What do you think he made in Washington State for, for more work? He said when he moved to Alaska, he substantially reversed his case. He load probably made less in Washington State. How much less? What do you think? 5.5 million. 3 million? 1.5 million for more wow. work. He moves to Alaska. Yeah, because, because Alaska, we, we have, this is a whole different podcast, but we have a kind of a, I don't want to say cabal, but almost a cartel of like the pricing here is so and, crazy expensive and, for and, medical procedures. And, and I want to say that it is not as bad as it was 10, uh, 10 or 15 years ago. I think in the last few years. Well, because more people, are, more people have started to, I mean, at some of the big companies like NSTAR, there was years ago, I was at a presentation, it was like NSTAR and GCI. They're sending yes. their people to lower 48. I, I met the, the guy who was you know, Seattle, Salt yeah. Lake, Los I Angeles. Agree. I agree. And so that has helped curb it. It's still pretty the, high. The, 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 the one problem with that I, I have realized, talking to some doctors, is um, if I go to, you know, Seattle or Salt Lake City and I get a procedure that's like, you know, a third mm -hmm. the cost and I come back, and then I go to my doctor and I say, I had a procedure. I, I, I have some, they say, well, go to fuck, go back to your fucking doctor in lower 48. Maybe so that, that's the one thing that if there's like a follow-up, some of the doctors. Right. Don't. I would hang around, but I guess my point to tie it, I would, one of a very smart doctor said, hang around for a while where you get the, the cheaper surgery. Well, you know, I Ken McCarty, I did a podcast with him. He's one, one of the ones running for the Eagle River Senate seat. Right. He talked about this actually when there was the opening, the, the vacancy for uh, Sharon Jackson ended up filling with Nancy Dahlstrom. Uh, resigned to become commissioner after she won in 2018. He was there at the meeting, and he, which I went to it to you know for the Republican Party to nominate some names. He was on their remote, and he was in Costa Rica. He was getting his hip, I think it was his hip replaced, which was like whatever he did, he, his second hip, I think. And I, we did we talked about it on the podcast, but it was like, I mean, it was like a fifth of the cost. Like after you travel, after you stay there for like a month in the nice right. hospital. I mean, it's. It's wild. Well, take it back to my legislative race for House District 18. I had proposals to reduce um, and hold down the costs of uh, housing and health care, which are two of the big components of the high cost of living that my, I hope, future constituents face. Uh, my North Anchorage district has a mix. It's a very uh, diverse in income and wealth, but it tilts toward the lower end. There's a lot more people in my district who have second homes and second jobs. And they struggle uh, often. And like I said, I, I walk door to door, and they and they struggle in part with high costs of housing and high costs of health care. And I have some proposals. And right to now, I, I'm, I'm, I live in a condo I bought in 2012, and it's uh, we're, we're getting, getting the wrap up here. Oh, oh, oh. they, oh, they, yeah, people. Um, yeah, you said second homes. I no, was no, thinking people, of, yeah. people have more second uh, jobs than second homes. I reversed it. No, no, we, but we, I meet we, people. We, we got time. Robbie, the campaign manager here on, on, right, on right. standby. I love that guy, by the way. Great work on the maps, Robbie. Right. He's done anyway, all the, all the maps for the right. For but the, like I said, the people in my in my district are a lot more likely to have uh, second jobs and second homes, and they a lot like, of struggling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just saying my condo. I bought it in, put ten years ago, and it was, you know, it's always been about two hundred. You know, the small two bedroom, but. Um, one just went for sale, and they've always gone for about two hundred, and they listed it for two fifteen, and it just sold for two thirty five. You know, so the pr housing prices are high, the rent prices are high, and right. there's and not a lot of vacancies. Even and, though commercial real estate 
as you've pointed out, has declined some in the last couple of years in Anchorage. Yeah, but, but, you know, home, you know right. homes are right. way up. I'm agreeing, and then we need to build more housing, it seems to me, to deal with that here in Anchorage and some other cities in Alaska. Well, it's been a great conversation, Cliff. I always like talking. You're, you're a very uh, animated, fun person. I, like, I always like talking to you. So. Think high energy, I think. High energy is, a good, yeah, is a good, good way to put it. <laughs> Spe- speaking of pot, I was just going to forget the guy's name, but I talked to him. I got to get him on the podcast. You remember the, he was the last Republican rep from downtown. He was a finance co-chair. Rick Euling. Rick Euling. I talked to, so I got a hold of Rick Euling through a friend, a lobbyist friend, and he's in, I think, California, and he's down there. But I'm supposed to get him on the podcast. He's another fat. He's the last Republican, I think, elected from downtown. That was back in like I think the nineties. He was I remember. Yeah, he, he he was also sounds like a character. I I'll let you just get let, let him characterize himself. I, I, yeah. I, I gotta get the podcast. So I'm trying to do more of these kind of like go, you know, go back and talk to some of these folks that have been around and the past. And so talk to Terry Gardner. We'll have to I will do that. Follow up offline about that. Well Cliff, best of luck in your race. We got Thanks you know a little lot. over two months till the the general and then and then the withdrawal deadline's next week, next Monday. So already four people have dropped out of some of the legislative races. Right. I think we're probably going to see a few more. Um, Tim Hewitt, he dropped out of that Josephson-Hensley race. So that's a two-person race. And then um, the Chirac guy dropped out of that Mears-Wolf race. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing a few more of those in the next week. And then I mean, it's full on, full speed to November 8th, huh? All gas, no brakes. I, lo- <laughs> I tell people I have two speeds. I got neutral and fifth gear, baby. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cliff. Well, thanks a lot for coming on and best of luck in your race. And we'll, Thank you, uh, Jeff. We'll really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Okay, folks. And if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Spotify or any of those platforms, please give us a nice like and review and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.